0: What's up everyone, this is episode number 60 of the Wax Museum Podcast, where I talk about all things basketball cards from past to present to future. This is your host Kyle, and as always, you guys can find me throughout the week on social media. My Instagram is at Wax Museum Podcast, my Twitter is at Wax Museum PC. I also want to remind you that this show is a part of the Bench Clear Media Network, so please go give the network a follow on social media if you haven't done that already, Okay, Uh, so before I get to the main feature today, which is a really interesting conversation with a former employee of both Upper Deck and Panini, I want to run you through the last week of the hobby as quickly as I can. Um, Last Thursday, pretty much right after I published episode 59, top high school recruit Jalen Green announced that he's going to forego college and jump right into the NBA's new professional pathway program. The next day, another top prospect named Isaiah Todd announced that he plans to do the same. Now, technically, I think this program is considered part of the G League, but when you look at the logistics of it, it functions more like an academy. Either way, though, I love it because the NBA is working aggressively to try and offer top prospects a viable alternative to college or playing somewhere else like Australia. And the two main hurdles that they faced in the past revolved around the financial side of things, and then also the wear and tear of the G League experience for an 18-year-old. Well, this new format addresses both of those concerns. Now, I can't talk about this without talking about the cardboard possibilities really quick, and who knows what the release calendar is going to look like after all of the COVID stuff But if there was ever a year to try this next idea, I think next year would be it. The draft class doesn't look all that great. So I would love to see Panini take their PRISM draft set and turn it into a draft picks and prospects set. So even if we don't get official NBA rookies for Jalen and Isaiah until the 2021 season, we could have these pre-rookie cards And Prism Draft could function similar to Bowman in baseball. I feel like they would help move the product in what you know could possibly be a down year. Although who knows now? Nothing's predictable. It's not a perfect idea, but I'd love to see Panini give it a shot. All right. So a couple of days after Jalen and Isaiah made their announcements, we got the first installment or the first two installments of the documentary "The Last Dance." And I really like the format of this thing so far with them moving through the months of the season and also giving background for some of the major players. I know Dennis Rodman is going to be featured in episode three, so I can't wait for that. Uh, We're definitely going to get some bad boy stuff, too. Uh, I promise I'll talk more about the documentary in the future, so make sure you stay tuned for that. In the meantime... As um, you probably have seen this, if not, you've been under, hiding under a rock, uh, Bulls cards are going absolutely crazy, especially base cards. And, you know, the Bulls tortured my Pacers for a number of years in the 90s. Well, now I would like to formally thank them for funding some nice PC cards for me in the last week, including an Austin Crozier Super Rave and a Victor Oladipo Optic Gold. I would much rather have those than some of the bulls cards that I got rid of. So thank you bulls. Okay. Um, A day or two after the documentary, we started to see a little bit of the new mosaic release, make its way online. A lot of you have been, you know, really excited about that. You've been waiting for it. Some of you have asked me what's going on with this product. I have been told so many things about this product. First, it was sitting in the warehouse ready to ship. Well, then, you know, people got the stay home orders and it was going to have to stay there. A lot of Panini employees are working remotely. I've also read accounts of Excel reps telling customers that they aren't stocking basketball cards for the foreseeable future. I've read about store managers that said they're only focused on essentials right now. And then to top it all off, it is showing up at some stores in Canada. So to answer your question, what's going on with it? I can't tell you for sure what's going on. I have no idea because there are so many different things that are happening that seem contradictory to one another. Uh, You know, obviously times with everything right now, times are changing so much. And it looks like that's the case with this as well. However, I haven't seen any reports of any stores stocking this in the United States. That doesn't mean they aren't. It's just I haven't seen it. So, it might only be select locations in Canada right now. Um, Hopefully, we'll know more in the near future. And finally, before I segue into today's conversation, I'm going to make time for my first sponsor read. Yes, you heard that right. I am excited to bring on an awesome new sponsor this week. A lot of you are already familiar with them because of this year's optic release. Well, now you can help support the Wax Museum podcast. Every time you shop for fan gear or collectibles at Fanatics, I mentioned cards, but there's plenty of other stuff there too. I know right now they have those cool NBA Jam shirts that feature uh, current players with the classic old school look. So if you'd like to help the show in this way, you can go to benchclear.us slash Fanatics. Once again, that's benchclear.us slash Fanatics. Just shop as planned, get a nice discount and the BenchClear Media Network gets a small commission as well. It's a win-win. Once again, that's BenchClear.us slash Fanatics. Okay, well, speaking of gear, today I'm going to play part one of a conversation I recorded with former Upper Deck and Panini employee, Tone Stakes. Last week, I talked about sourcing some of the memorabilia that goes into our favorite Panini cards. Well, Tone was one of the guys going out and purchasing those jerseys for the company. He also facilitated a number of signings with big names, such as Kobe Bryant and Kevin Durant. In part one, we focused more on the memorabilia side, and that's what I'm going to play for you today. And then next week, you'll want to tune back in to hear us chat autographs, um, including some of the controversies that I talked about in episode 14. This one was a lot of fun for me, and I hope you enjoy it. All right, so let's start this one off simple. Uh, Tone, I know things are kind of crazy in the world right now. How are you doing?
1: (laughs) I appreciate you asking, but I'm doing well. Me and my family are all uh, uh, quarantined in our house. Uh, We live out in the suburbs outside of Dallas, so got a little bit of space, a little bit of outside room. Uh, We are doing well, all things considered.
0: All right, so let's get it, let's just dig in today. I mentioned briefly in the intro that you worked for both. Upper Deck and Panini. Um, So can you give us a little bit of background and how you got into the sports card industry? And then can you tell us a little bit more about your specific role at each company?
1: For sure. Yeah. So I I was working in country music, working for a radio station. Uh, One of the ladies who was an executive at Upper Deck was a fan of the radio station, and we became uh, friends. And at that time, I was coordinating these shows uh, with the artists, uh, working with the artists, making sure they had everything they needed for the shows. And there was a position open at her company at Upper Deck where she said, um, "Do you, would you rather work with athletes? Would you like to work with, with athletes? Uh, and I was like, of course. I, I'm a bigger fan of sports than I am of country music, uh, which is probably it's pretty, pretty, probably parallel now, but uh, at the time it was definitely more sports. Uh, so I went over to Upper Deck. They had a position, what they call Athlete Relations. Uh, and that job was working for the baseball. They had the baseball license at the time. It was a 2006. Uh, and I was working over there and handling their baseball uh, signatures. So uh, helping to coordinate the deals, uh, making sure that when the players agreed to the deals, then uh, coordinating, getting them the cards, getting the cards back, talking with the agents, uh, you know, making sure that we handled every part of the athlete getting the cards signed and back to us. Uh, towards the end of my time there at Upper Deck, they made me the basketball brand manager. I was lucky enough to get a promotion there. Um, and at that time it was to work on the basketball license which they had uh, until 2009. That was my uh, my last time there because once uh, Panini secured the basketball license in 2009, uh, I left uh or actually they they kind of they started downsizing a little bit upper deck at the time Um, and since they didn't have a basketball license there was no need for a basketball brand manager so (laughs) i got to a point where i was actually producing some of the uh, the product uh, at the manager role it's more of the marketing side of it um determining how you're going to you know somebody actually designs the product there's a product development guy on on the team that designs the product and a team that comes up with a checklist and then what i did on the brand manager side was determine how we we're going to sell that product, what those price points were going to be at, um, how we're going to package the the, the cards, um, any way we could to kind of how, you know, you would manage a brand more or less. Uh, and then from there, then I actually, uh, uh, a few years later, I actually, a f- couple of the contacts I knew, my part, my some of my people I worked with at upper deck moved over to Panini because Panini was becoming kind of more and more in the space. Uh, They had the basketball license for a few years at that time, uh, and then they were starting to get into baseball. They had a partnership with the Players Association. Topps has the exclusive uh, with Major League Baseball and the Players Association. Uh, I'm sorry, with Major League Baseball, the Players Association has a co-exclusive, I believe, with uh, Topps and Panini. And so uh, Panini was looking for somebody to handle their baseball deals. Uh, once again, same thing like I did at Upper Deck. So I moved over to Panini, uh, moved to move my family from Southern California to Dallas uh, and handled their, their baseball licensing deals. So we would secure, deal with the agents again, deal with the players, sometimes with retired players. Some of the retired players uh, work direct, they don't have agents any further that handle the signature part of it. Um, so we would get those contacts, build the relationship, once again send the cards out, get them signed, get them back and help with the memorabilia side. I did that for a couple of years at Panini and then I moved over to basketball, um, which is more of my first love, uh, basketball over baseball. So they allowed me to work in the basketball space. I did the same thing, started working with the memorabilia partnerships as well, um, Kobe Bryant, uh, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, John Wall, Blake Griffin, uh, I believe that's who we had at the time. I know they've increased since I've left there, but those were the uh, the exclusive players we worked with. So I would do not only handle those memorabilia signature signings, which we would do all in person, but also doing the trading cards, getting those autographed as well and negotiating the deals with the players.
0: Having talked with you, um, I would say, you know, we've talked about the game use stuff. If uh, you would have told me then, or if you would have asked me to guess where you started, a country music radio station would not have been uh, my number one guess. So it's interesting to see how it, you know some opportunities just evolve into something else, um, and and that's ah, crazy. No, no question.
1: Yeah, now, no question at all, man. It's all it's all various paths.
0: Since you said that, um, were you involved with Panini's country music set?
1: I actually was. Uh, it was a uh, it was a passion I put into the uh, the concept with Panini. I would say. How would I say that? <laughs> I would say it was a, a a product that had great intentions. I actually I personally just being a country fan in general, I was really excited with the product we created. I totally understand it did not have the heavy hitters people expected. Um, but you know because it was a brand new space when we were talking with the likes of at that time Kenny Chesney, Tim McGraw, the bigger names, the numbers their teams were requiring for an endorsement deal, for for what they considered an endorsement deal, which you know we look at as a signature deal, but but you know semantics, right? But right. Um, the numbers they were asking for were astronomical. I mean, they were numbers larger than what you know we pay Kobe Bryant, you know. <laughs> and so it, it got to a point where we just said, hey, you know, unfortunately, we can't do that, right? So we were able to secure what I thought. Was a lot of very, very good country artists. Um, you know, I realized the set did not get the attention and, you know, it, nothing against the, the sales team at Panini because I think they do a spectacular job. I mean, they're showing it every day by just, you know, tremendous sales in, in the trading card space. I mean, some of the best we've ever seen in this industry. Um, but I think at that time, the trading card, the country music trading card set, was not what they were hoping for out of it. They were hoping for a lot easier names to sell, you know, Tim McGraw, once again, Taylor Swift and those names. Taylor Swift was country music at that time to clarify. Um, And so, uh, you know, I think, I think it just didn't, it it wasn't an easy sell to target in Walmart and to the big box retailers. Right. And so because of that, it kind of got lost in in the jumble of things. And, but I, I, truthfully, I mean, you know, I'll, I'll 100% stand behind that. I think it was a great initial product. I think we could have, Really built from there. I can tell you that after we put that product out, we had a lot of conversation with, uh, you know, the country artists afterwards to come back and see if they want to do a second one. And their their numbers were more realistic. But I think because it was a uh, you know it it wasn't it wasn't a, a profitable product at that time at Panini. I think they chose to go away from the the format. But I really did. I mean, there's some great artists in there that that have. Gone on to have you know successful careers because we took a lot of kind of new acts at that time, um, and then you know our, we had some bigger name acts that kind of at that moment were getting really big like Florida Georgia Line and that type of stuff. Um, you know, and I <laughs> I can say I know that the conversation on the blogs is about how Florida Georgia Line potentially did not sign those cards. I can stand by and say that I uh, got to see imagery of them signing. Now once again I was not there. Um, but for, for all intents and purposes on our end, we, you know, we were informed that that was, those (laughs) those were actual, their autographs. So, you know, I, and I know we'll get into that conversation at some point later on in this conversation, but you know, you, uh. You have to manage your costs, and so you can't be at every signing all of the time, right? So you have right. to be extremely. You're trying. To, you're trying to keep that overhead low so that those costs don't get extravagant, because you have to transfer those costs onto somebody, and they go onto the, the you know the the secondary buyer, the 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 buyers of the product.
0: Well, I wasn't planning to go there, but the... Uh, Sorry about that. that. No, 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 that's fine. Um, the uh, That's the second time the Florida Georgia Line stuff has been mentioned on here. So uh, I am glad that it came up so we could get a little uh, more insight into that. Um, I am not a, personally a country music fan, although I will say Cracked Rearview Mirror is one of my favorite albums of all time. I know Darius Rucker was in that set. Yes. So very happy about that.
1: All right. Yeah, we were, we were excited about him
0: too. <laughs> um, so since you, you worked a lot with baseball at Upper Deck, I know you said you you were the brand manager at one point as well, um, but it was um, you did more so the basketball at, at Panini, um, seeing as you dealt with both the memorabilia and the autograph cards, I'd like to talk about each one of those separately today. Um, along the way, we will hit on some controversies. We've already hit on one. Uh, and then also some of the internal dialogue that you remember from Panini as well. Um, Okay, so a couple of weeks ago, I talked about matching retired player jerseys from Panini cards to their source material. One of the big ones I I talked about was a Horace Grant jersey, uh, also a Mark Jackson jersey. And As it turns out, at one point, you were the person responsible for purchasing a lot of those jerseys. So, Mm -hmm. my first question for you then, since you've been on the the brand manager side of this as well, when you go to make purchases, does Panini target certain players or what exactly are your instructions from them? And can you explain for me what that process looks like from start to
1: finish? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think, so, you know, the product development team at Panini, they are the ones that come up with the concept of the product. Now, if it's a heritage product that they're just you know, bringing a new addition to a new year, um, they kinda know the guidelines on what inserts that worked, which ones they wanna revamp or, or change. Um, and so once they get that idea together and they say, okay, we're looking for you know, these 25 type of players, whether that's a handful of retired and current players or if it's mostly a retired player set, they then determine which one of those variations, whether it's, you know, the inserts down the road that are a, have a memorabilia piece or if it's a strictly memorabilia insert. And then from there, they have to determine how many quantities of pieces, materials they'll need, depending on the size of the cut that the the insert is going to go into the card. So if it's a, you know, three quarters by three quarters or one and a half by one, whatever those, those sizes are, they determine that depending on the cut. And then from there, once again, you know, basic math, right? They figure out, okay, we need 250 of these, because this is how many of these inserts are. These are numbered to 99. These ones are numbered to, you know, 49. These ones are 10. Whatever those quantities are, they piece together. They go through their inventory and then determine if they have enough of that material or if they need to source that material and find it. Uh, a lot of times, what they'll do is because they're so proactive in this space, they be they watch the auction houses um you know there's a variety of auction houses and not on the platform to build out which ones i think are best but there, are there are they you know the auction houses and they go through and they find items that they feel you know that, that the panini as a group feels has very strong authentication so not just you know hey like we we're talking about before in our previous conversation not just a mirrors five where they think you know it's got a lot of the similarities it could be you no know, they're, they're always looking for very high-end uh, you know The the items have without a shadow of a doubt This is a game use piece now even if it can't be photo matched They'll make sure that they can because they have access to the equipment managers They can talk with the equipment managers and say does this look like it does this have the similarities They do a lot of the due diligence just because as you know, you know the collectors are very very Particular about if we're stating if excuse me if panini is stating that it's game used they wanted to be able to, if anybody questions it, they can match that up and and check it to make sure that that piece was a piece of one of the game used items that they purchased. So they do, they go through auction houses. They will buy from private uh, collectors on occasion. Once again, if those private collectors have extremely strong uh, provenance to back up that item. Um, And then they buy a lot through uh, the the NBA partners, My Gray, uh, you know, um, their NBA uh, NBAgameworn.com which is my grace and the NBA's uh, website that covers game used jerseys they'll buy a lot from there if it's for current players um, you know so they they try to just make sure that they're always going to uh, very authenticate authentic items that don't cause any issues when they're buying game use. so that that's kind of the process from from start to go
0: um, you mentioned several different you know, areas that you bought memorabilia from, did you ever purchase directly from a former player? So let's say, you know, you're doing a signing with Kareem and he says, hey, I have some stuff here at the house. Is that something that ever happens?
1: Yeah, that that happens. It's not as uh, frequent. Um, Usually players would um, instead of reaching out to panini or having that conversation with with panini they would uh you know go to an auction house and then we would buy from an auction house from the player through there Um, but yeah we did on occasion we did buy from i I know there was a few um, retired players some deceased players that their family members um, we're looking to sell some items. And once again, we would go through to make sure that those things are authenticated. And, and our always our partnership was if we can't get it authenticated, we wouldn't buy it, we would return it. Um, so, you know, we always made sure we were protected at that time.
0: All right. So I've mentioned this on the show before, but I feel like Panini has done a really good job of sticking with game worn stuff for all of their uh, veteran and retired basketball players. Um, that doesn't seem to be the case as much with football. And I know you dealt more with basketball, but I, I figure you were present for some of the internal discussion surrounding that situation. What are your memories of of that time and, and those conversations and um, some of those workings on the inside?
1: Yeah, I think they were always just trying to, because obviously the cost of game use is, is so much higher than player worn when they Put it on an event or or something along those lines, and they were always trying to look at the statistics of secondary market sales to determine if it made sense for Panini to continue to buy game worn items. Um, and and I can tell you, I remember those conversations at that time, and I can't speak to it where it is today. And if somebody could you know show me the numbers, I would be you know wrong. But at that time, it sh- it did not show that collectors on the secondary market and obviously as we talked about before panini doesn't get any of the secondary value of those cards they sell it to the 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 buyer and then whoever flips it that's a different story but panini doesn't make that increase in those individual items and so they were looking at all the time to see okay this is player worn number to 49 and this is the same player game worn number to 49 and the dollars on what those were sold on a general basis on you know obviously doing thousands of of cards not just a one-off card it didn't show enough of a difference. So I know the conversation was, and this happened before I left, was just the conversation of maybe we could include some more player-worn items. Maybe the collector base, um, you know, because they love beautiful patches and they love all these things, and a player, you know, depending on the sport, they only wear so many game-used jerseys in a year, and we can either now try to get them to change for basketball's purposes every single quarter so that we can have more items, or may we go to the player player warrant items where we, you know, send them or have them sit down in front of us and have them try on the jerseys. Uh, and I know football has gone that route, as we were talking about, um, with retired players. And and, and I, I definitely think that's a conversation. I don't know if basketball will ever go that way. Each of the different divisions have, you know, uh, kind of a lead, uh, the product manager, the product development director, that kind of helps to determine if they think that would help or not in that sport uh, and you know I assume the people on the basketball side and with baseball have decided that doesn't work but football feels like that's and maybe, maybe even they're just trying it out to see how it goes um, but I know that was a conversation we had um, uh, quite a few times with the executive team to determine if we were going to step back a little bit on the game using and use some more player worn items
0: yeah, I actually saw. Um, I think it was on Reddit today a picture of a David Robinson logo man. That was numbered to two, and and that just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. You know, you'd think you'd want to spread it out a little bit more in the releases, and um, you know, I think all logo men are special cards, but you know, make that mm-hmm. a one on one in two separate releases instead. Um, I also kind of I made the observation I think at at some point last year that um, Kobe Bryant's patches were um, seemed seemingly becoming fewer and fewer. And I felt like with him being a, a brand ambassador that they probably would go the player worn route with him. You know, obviously that's not going to happen now. Um, but uh, so, you know, having been on the inside, is that your understanding that that, you know, very well could have been the case?
1: I, I think that's always something that's up for conversation, right? I mean, I I don't know if they've ruled that out completely. I haven't been there in two plus years, but I know that when I was there, that was part of the conversation was just determining, once again, did, would the collectors have a bigger issue with it? Was, you know, if if it didn't seem that the collectors were making a strong stance that, hey, I only want a piece of memorabilia in there if it's You know, especially for current players and not not the rookies, if it's current players, it's got to be game-worn. It can't be, you know, event-worn or player-worn or or anything of that nature. It has to be game-worn. I think there's a little more leniency for the uh, rookies just because, you know, due to how the timeline works on when productivity and productions goes and you're trying to get those products out to start the year, um, that's why they have the photo shoots because the photo shoots allow them to get imagery of the players before they actually hit an official court, Um, you know, so I think there's a little more leniency there that those uh, items can be event-worn and, you know, it goes pretty far. I think it goes through the majority of the year, at least when I was there, those for the rookies, a lot of their uh, uh, memorabilia cards were event-worn through the majority of the year and then towards the end of the year, then the game usage. Because, you know, I don't want to get too deep into the weeds, but they only get the jerseys. Panini has a partnership with the NBA, and they get the jerseys really later in the you know in the season because guys have to play them. The teams have to protect themselves that if a guy gets blood on the jersey or gets the jersey gets ripped or shredded or anything, they have to have backups. So they can't send the jerseys out as soon as they play a game. And then they, the league also has partnerships with my partner, My Gray, to sell some of those early jerseys. So. Panini has to be very mindful of when they have jerseys available to utilize game usage, right? So there's a lot of different factors that go into it. It's not just out of laziness or cost by any means. It's trying to be mindful of how their business is done. Right. Um, you mentioned the
0: the rookies and player worn versus game worn. Um, I, I agree with you there. I think the you know as a consumer, I'm. Fully, you know, understanding that the rookie stuff is going to be player worn, especially if I want, you know, super premium patches. I get that. Um, so then I that will segue us, though, into the next question. Did you have anything to do with the um, the photo shoot in those jerseys when you worked at Panini?
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, when in the role I had at, on the basketball side, we had to. Uh, pretty much coordinate the majority of the uh, photo shoot I mean it's from from the signature acquisitions portion um, and we helped the product development team secure the assets whether it was uh, you know there was times where they tried on socks they tried on shoes they tried on uh, hats um, a variety of jerseys, warm-ups, that type of stuff that were all going to be used in products throughout. Not just the trading card uh, for the general release, but some of the digital stuff that they are, I mean uh, the instant stuff would have some of those items too. Um, so it was it was coordinating that whole side. Now the, the the design and the photo team, they handled the actual taking of the imagery with the NBA and their photo shoot. Um, and they have partners that they had to coordinate um, but yeah no it was it was a it was a three-day if I remember it's a three-day event where you are uh, you're kind of locked in a hotel uh, with the, the the first or the, the incoming draft class and they're signing a lot and they're uh, they're doing a lot of trying on of memorabilia um, to create those products and and truthfully I, I look at it like what panini has done with their from their photo shoots and what i can tell you because i was at upper decks uh, photo shoots for football um many years ago and what it has become now with panini i mean it's it's a totally different space i mean it's almost uh it is a full-on event when it was with with uh, upper deck it was you know it was a, a a big event but it wasn't to the level it is now um these photo shoots are, are something else i mean to be able to gain so many assets in photography autographs memorabilia from such you know these young uh, individuals it's it's a lot of work on a lot of people's hands to get that done i mean it's it's it is massive event do you have any estimate
0: or any idea how many jerseys a player might wear in those three days
1: (laughs) (laughs) i i i don't i know the number has changed over the years um, and they once again i think the product development team is very mindful of what they are trying to achieve to get products out, but I, I I couldn't even give you a number. I would say it's you know, ten to fifteen something like that. I, I you know I know that those numbers have changed. They may have gone up. They may have gone down. I couldn't speak to it over the last few years, um, but I know that they don't. Um, there was a time where the thought process was get as many as we need in case we don't need it anyways we can throw it on the next guy right, um, right. but they were they were more mindful about that moving forward just because once again the overhead cost became excessive you know a, a professional well done authentic nike jersey it's not five dollars you know even if you get bulk rate it's still a couple hundred dollars so your your cost can get pretty high pretty fast especially when you're talking about you know jerseys and then purchasing shoes if you're going to have the guys try on shoes and socks and all the elements. I mean the overhead can get high so they tried to be very mindful of what they needed um, and they and they did a, for the most part I think they did a really great job of uh, looking at what they would need through the course of the first year because I as I recall, they didn't use any game uh, or player-worn items for rookies in year two of the trading cards for those players. It was just during the rookie year, so they didn't they couldn't do anything with it. So they had to be very mindful that they utilized all of that those assets. So they had to, uh, you know, choose those numbers wisely of what they had to try on.
0: So you're telling me that my Goga Bataze RPAs later this year might be more special because it could be leftover uh, Ek Anabogu
1: jerseys, then, right? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how many Ek they used, but it could have been. I was I was actually with the class for Ek, so I uh, I, I saw him try those on. So I but I didn't see. Uh, uh, Gogo, so I, I don't know if those uh, were the same ones, <laughs> but they they usually try to uh, put the players' last names on there if they if they had time. Once again, it, you know, there's so many variables in it, and I don't want to get too much in the weeds, but there are definitely where you know Nike has their uh, productivity levels too, right? So they couldn't right. just go like, okay, cool, you know, uh, Goga's going to be number 41, whatever the number is, you know. Okay, <laughs> well now 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 make those jerseys right now, right? Because Nike's like, yeah. Look, Panini, you guys need to settle down. We are starting for the season where we're going to make a lot more money than the couple jerseys we're going to sell you for, you know, this this photo shoot. So, it, timing it was always a huge factor. Uh, you know, I think Nike did a spectacular job of meeting those uh, deadlines um, for the most part. There were definitely a few years where um, we were trying, the guys were trying on jerseys, and if they don't have their name and number on it, the players instantly go. This isn't my jersey. Why am I wearing this jersey? <laughs> and, and, you know, and the other thing is you can't use those patches because you put, you know, a number zero on a guy who's number 32. And they're like, well, you know, is this that part of the three? Is this that part of the two? And so it became, became so many questions. They had to work very closely with Nike and the NBA to get those done in time to uh, to make it work for the photo shoot. So there's a lot of moving parts. And I think, and I will say this, and I don't mean to go on a tangent, but I do think that there are times where the collecting community jumps on something that isn't perfectly right. And like, ah, oh, the trading card companies are trying to get over one on us. And I don't always think that's the case. I think a lot of times there are certain limitations due to partnerships that just don't allow um, you know, for it to be exactly perfect, like the trading card companies would hope.
0: Right. Yeah, we only see the one side of it. Now, I am <laughs> I am lucky this year though because Goga Bitaje actually chose number eighty-eight, um, and Easy. I do <laughs> I do <laughs> see a lot of eighty-eight jerseys. So, if he doesn't have an eighty-eight patch, that's going to be just incredibly disappointing.
1: Yeah, um, thank, that's a good shout out to Goga. We appreciate it. Thanks, Goga Panini appreciates you,
0: yeah. Goga, and. Uh, uh, Lisa which at the time I think was with oh, the right. uh, Timberwolves, the only 88s where it actually lines up, right? Mm-hmm. Um, who's now on on the Kings? I I like watching the Kings. I miss basketball, right? Do you miss basketball right
1: now? <laughs> oh man, so much. I mean, I think it was brilliant for ESPN to you know bring the Last Dance in early. Um, to just keep those basketball fans because I, I really think the NBA is doing what it can to try to make something happen they just have to be extremely mindful of all the implications um, that either canceling a season or delaying a season can cause right and I, and I think right. you know I I personally really think about the the kids that are going the excuse me the, the the young men that are going into the draft this year because the reality is I mean those guys, were when they were finishing college after march madness on a normal season they only had a couple months before everything starts for them where that they're doing you know a lot of the combine stuff then obviously the draft in june and so all of their there's a very small window for them and it, it's it's beneficial for them because obviously a lot of those kids don't come from a heavy financial background so it, it, it's a it's a it's a time for them to go, okay, I've, I've put in my work, I've done everything, I know things are gonna turn up You know, a little in a better spot for our family. Now, those individuals have a much longer time trying to figure out when that draft is going to happen. So those are the those are the people I think about, right? I mean, obviously, right. Everybody is affected by, and I and forgive me because I'm just speaking sh- strictly sports here. I know there's a lot of other things happening in the world, and I I don't mean you know to belittle any of that because that's all very very important. But in the space I know, the the incoming draft class, they're in a tough spot this year, you know, and I, I think that that isn't being, and maybe it's not the topic of conversation now, but maybe at some point that should be a consideration because they're going to go a longer period of time without financial help. Um, and, and I, and I you know, there's a lot of, and there's a thousand different things I could talk on that situation, but I do think that that's, that's a concern I see because there perhaps is an opening for a lot of Less, um, less accredited businesses to get in there to try to make quick money off of these players. That's my right. concern.
0: Uh, yeah, we. Uh, I don't think, well, I can only speak for myself. I, I, I don't think I fully grasp how much this whole situation, so I guess for lack of a better word right now, is going to affect sports going forward. Um, things are for gonna sure. get weird. Things are going to get really weird, more so than they are right now, I think. Um, Let's wrap up real quick just about uh, patches and provenance. Um, I I did have one more, um, a a big question about, I think it was around 2014, Panini announced that they were going to create a a database with all of the patches. Maybe, I don't know if they specified the RPAs or, or the jumbo patches or what, But they wanted, I think it was the RPAs. I think they wanted to provide another level of provenance to the RPAs. Um, That never happened. And since then, we've seen quite a few alterations. Can you tell me what happened with that?
1: Oh, man, I couldn't speak exactly to that. What I can tell you is that that is an ongoing thing they were working on when I left. Uh, They knew it was important to the collectors. They knew it was important to the provenance of each of these items uh, I know that there was, uh, they were putting on the back of the patches, if you pull a patch out of a card, they have a number on the back of it that it was to be able to match up to show that that piece was uh, authentic and what it was used. And they were hoping to be able to create that to be a public platform. And I, I, truthfully, I don't know if that's a legal thing that they chose not to do or if they're still in the process. I Unfortunately, I don't know, but I do know that there was a, a time where that was all of those elements were being kept somewhere all that data was being kept in a system somewhere I don't know if they were building a system I mean once again that's a that's a very very expensive system it's you know the the common fan will think that you know oh it's just an Excel file and it brings up and tells you you know here it is uh, it's it's actually a very very extensive system uh, and I, I would imagine it's it's probably one of those pieces that the uh, the software development team that panini has, They're probably continuing to work on that, trying to figure that out is is my guess.
0: Um, So a lot of people, you know, kind of like what you said, where people say, oh, it should be easy. And I'll I'll admit I'm kind of one of those people, right, because I've made a website that tracks a lot of the ones that exist. Mm -hmm. And um, I think it was um, Drew on Let Me Get That potograph. He had Panini's current baseball brand manager on. And they basically said, we don't have the time to take pictures of the patches before they're packed out because Drew said, well, why don't you just put them all on a table and take a picture right now? Keep in mind, that's us on the other side thinking, you know, (laughs) this is why can't you just do this? Right. Um, Yes. I heard that though. And I felt like that they, they just aren't making the time. And I know, you know, I know there are deadlines. I know you got to get stuff back from athletes having been there do you feel like that's an accurate assessment? And I'm not asking you to throw him under the bus necessarily.
1: Oh no! Was that was that Ben? I, I, ben, I'm a, I like Ben. Is that Ben? Ben I I don't.
0: I don't remember the name.
1: Oh, interesting. But yeah, no, I um, I have seen their warehouse of items and the amount of items they go through for trading cards. Man, it's a lot. It's a lot of stuff. And so I. I could understand his statement, maybe it was taken out of context and obviously I did not hear that podcast, so I don't know uh, how it was stated, but I would think that, you know, what his thought process was, was more along the lines of like, if you have seen the the stuff, the amount of items we cut up and how we go through that process, like, it would take a full-time staff, it would take a five to ten person staff just to take photos of every single item every time. But what I know from the acquisition side is when we acquired the items, we would then put them into the system. Every piece would have a specific ID number. And then those ID numbers were what you see on the back of those patches when you pull them out of the cards. Those are the ID numbers to match up to that item. I don't believe there's a photo of that item. you know. And I think at one point the idea was, and I, I know they were talking about this with shoes, which obviously I would love because of the space I'm in, but they talked about potentially Taking an image of the shoe, putting it on the card, and showing, hey, this is this piece from this part of the shoe, along those lines, and obviously that would take a lot of labor-intensive work as well.
0: Right. Um, but it's I know there's like there... Donruss and Tops. Tops did it a little bit with basketball, but mm-hmm. Donruss did it with a lot of their uh, football and baseball, I believe.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. That. I know that's a piece of the process that they were looking at when I was there. Hopefully, they've increased that and made that better. But I, I know there's definitely an id for each individual item so that they can match it up to where that item was sourced from um but i don't know uh if there was a i, I never knew there was a process of actually taking photos of everything and so that's where i would assume uh the the individual from panini had mentioned that probably you know there <laughs> the amount of time it would take to take a photo of every single piece um would be a full a full team and you know i once again i think that what panini does spectacularly well is they they try to do a they do a great job i think of listening to the collectors and when the collectors are saying this is very important to us this is something that really makes a movement for us they i think they've done a great job of implementing those because the reality is panini is a company to satisfy the collectors right it's Mm -hmm. if the collectors aren't buying there's not a business for panini and panini does very well off of the business of collectors and so i think they do a very good job of listening to collectors but it is hard, and this is one thing we talked about a couple weeks ago. It's hard to decipher the legitimate concern of a collector and the crazed, you know, uh, the the crazed fan who just wants to yell at somebody and 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 takes it out at the guys at Panini at, or the team at Panini at the national, you know? So it is very hard for them to constantly decipher that. And and, and as I mentioned to you before, they're they're mindful of the, the, you know, forums and the various blogs and that type of stuff because they're always trying to get an assessment of how their product's doing, how they can make it better, um, which, which I can't say all trading card companies do that. I can say that Panini, being there and being in the space around them, they did that, and I and I, I think for for where uh, you know trading cards are, I think that's very very important.
0: I will say, um, I think there was at least this is the only one I know of in the last several years. The only Panini basketball set that featured a picture of the material on the back was a um, a set that was just a Pacers set. So it was like a dream come true for me. It was the Hickory Shorts. If you yes. were responsible for that, Tone, thank you, thank you, thank you. I,
1: I I will say I was not, but I will tell you that I am a huge fan of those jerseys, and I can tell you that I have dealt with a lot of Pacers fans that are like, okay, that, that let that partnership be over already. I'm tired of seeing Hickory jerseys. and yeah. I'm like, man, that's some of the greatest jerseys that were ever made personally. So I'm, I'm glad they did that, but I, I can't take any credit for that at all.
0: Yeah, this is the they had. They actually had a contract with MGM, um, so they had to use them until this <laughs> year. This was the last year. Uh, I was disappointed we never got the actual jerseys in the cards, but the shorts were really cool. Uh, I ended up with a yep. jumbo tag from Glenn Robinson III, um, and that's his only prime card in a Pacers uniform. So I, I was thrilled wow. with that set. Um, cool. All right. So I could talk about patches all day, um, <laughs> and I too. know you probably could too, and we probably will talk more in the future. Uh, oh, but sure. I do we've got to talk about the autographs as well. And that is where we will pick up next week. I want to thank Tone for coming on the show and answering all the questions I had for him. He's going to talk about this more at the end of next week's episode, but he started a company that is called Game Use Tone where he partners with athletes and their agents to sell photo matched game used shoes to both collectors and investors. So if you want to learn more about that, check out his Instagram, which is at game used tone. Well, you're at it. Don't forget to check out my Instagram, which is at wax museum podcast, and my Twitter, which is at wax museum PC.